Professional football in America is a special game. And yes, it is that time on your Saturday morning. Whatever you got, I need. All your football in one show. This is L.A. Gridiron Weekly with Kirk Morrison. Let's set this place on fire. We ain't gonna do nothing fancy. We gonna play on fire. Whatever you got today, I got to have it. It's what you wanted. A show completely dedicated to football. Saturday on 710 ESPN from 9 to 11 a.m. Kirk Morrison is live and local and all over the Rams and the entire NFL. USC UCLA, the biggest high school football stories from across the Southland. And taking your calls all morning. This is LA Gridiron Weekly with Kirk Morrison. 710 ESPN. Yes, indeed. Welcome back in. Hour number two here. L.A. Gridiron Weekly, 710 ESPN. Hour number two. If you missed the first hour, outstanding first hour. Got a little bit to Aaron Rodgers. Talked about the OTAs and the upcoming mini camps for both the Rams, the Chargers. And then we talked a little, uh, got, got deep into the Chargers. If you missed that interview with Chris Harry again, you got to go back. Go to the show's page, ESPN Los Angeles. Click on podcast, click on LA Gridiron Weekly, and you kind of get the recap of the Chargers that we just talked about just there. As we head to hour number two, uh, obviously, I, I told you, and this is something that I've been really, really just been thinking about a lot because when it comes to this program, like you, you try to cover all the bases. And the one of the big bases that you cover is the NFL because the NFL is the highest league. So whether it's the Chargers, whether it's the Rams, whether it's the Raiders, Eagles, 49ers, Chiefs, it doesn't matter. LA Gridiron Weekly will cover every team at some point. We got a lot planned for you coming up this summer. I can't wait. I got a bunch of shows or preview shows as well. So we preview every division within the National Football League, the conferences. We're going to go all around the beat reporters, ESPN reporters, and get the temperature of every team as they get ready for training camp. So it'll be after all the mini camps and the OTAs and all that stuff. And so I got some good stuff planned for you over the next couple episodes uh, during the summertime which we know can always be fun, but that's what you, uh, this is what you listen for though. This is the reason why you suit up. This is the reason why you, you strap up, put the seatbelt on and go for the ride here on LA gridiron weekly, 877-710-ESPN, 877-710-3776. But college football is also a big passion of mine um, as an ESPN college football broadcaster and, and traveling around and, and going to different venues speaking with different coaches, watching different players. It's a different perspective that I have. Um, And I didn't know that I would love college football so much when I left the game. You know, I went to San Diego State and graduated. I drafted to the Oakland Raiders back in 2005. And when I immediately retired from the NFL, I became San Diego State's color radio color analyst. And so now when you're covering college football and you're on the radio and then start to do some production stuff, you start to see just how, how cool it is to watch guys develop, watch them grow. And at least in college football, you know, you have four and a half, sometimes five years to watch certain players. If they red shirt or some guys are just exceptional at what they do, they only spend three years of college and bye-bye. See you later. They go to the NFL. 
but when it comes to college football, I get excited because each week is a new storyline. Every day is a new storyline. It's fun. A little, a little bit different than the NFL. Trust me, NFL is still king, and I love NFL no matter what. That's always been you know, the ultimate. But I think college football brings a unique perspective in watching players develop, watching them earn an opportunity, or watching them take the next step, which is always, to me, one of the best parts about this job. And so here on LA Gridiron Weekly, I wanted to talk just – I wanted to get into UCLA – I want to get into USC. I want to get into the Pac-12. I want to get into the conference that's closest to us, right? The closest to the listeners out there here in Los Angeles, and that's the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 is one that hasn't been the Pac-12 that I've grown accustomed to seeing when I was much younger, whereas the Pac-12 was one of the premier conferences, I thought, in college football. Now, it seems that that's sort of changed over the last 10 years or so where this has been all about the SEC, the Southeastern Conference. And now with the emergence of Clemson and what they've been able to do, the ACC is sort of puffing their chest out. Obviously, the Big Ten and its historic teams, Michigan, Ohio State, you know, you have that rivalry that's still alive and well. Then you got the Big 12, who's changed team. People have left the Big 12, and just a lot going on. But still, right now, Oklahoma is still that team. Texas is still a brand name. And then you have the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is, I'm going to be honest, sometimes it's hard to, to talk Pac-12, especially with my, a lot of my colleagues on the East Coast. They don't get a chance. They don't stay up late. You know, They're not watching a ton of Pac-12 because the game comes on so late. 10 o'clock on the East Coast, 7 o'clock on the West Coast. A lot of my guys are are heading to bed, getting ready to talk NFL the next day. So the college football for them sort of stops after prime time. And yet we know here in California, especially on the West Coast, that football keeps on going to the late, late wee hours of the morning. To some of my guys who end up watching that late Hawaii game always, that's a whole different story for another show. But um, when you just think about just college football in the Pac-12. This was the conference of USC. I mean, since the turn of the century, since about 2000, remember Pete Carroll takes over at USC. And USC was the team that carried the torch for the Pac-12. Now, look, occasionally you would get the Oregons and the, the Washingtons in there. UCLA had a little run for a little bit in the 90s. But since we got to the 2000s, it was all about USC. And now it's been a little bit different. Now the Pac-12 seems to be dominated by the Pac-12 North. And I still remember the Pac-10. And sometimes I swear I have to always tell myself, quit saying, don't say Pac-10, don't say Pac-10. Because I'm still, I mean, that's what I grew up in. When I was in high school, I wanted to play in the Pac-10. I didn't I got a Pac-10 offer, but it came too late. It came too late. I already made my decision. So I always remember the Pac-10, but now the Pac-12, it seems that now it's not that dominant team anymore. Where every year you knew, like, man, SC is going to be tough, right? Stanford's going to be tough. Washington's going to be tough. Oregon now. So I think it's the, the parity in the league is what's hurting the league. The parity in the Pac-12 is what's hurting the Pac-12. 
and it's what's hurting USC. It's what's hurting UCLA because you, they just beat each other up all year long. And so at the end of the year, because you got a team that's maybe lost two or three games, we consider them failures. And in all reality, they're just a good football team in a very good conference. You cannot dominate the Pac-12. It's too too difficult. But I think that's a little bit different from when you're talking about the SEC and how Alabama has done what they've done, right? In their in their time of you know being back-to-back SEC champs or national champs like they were this past season and beating Ohio State. So yeah, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit difficult. But that's why I always look at where does USC, UCLA go? And actually, what is the temperature? What do people think of both of these storied programs? Right? Is this the year for USC, UCLA to finally push forward and get the uh, and get everybody thinking about the Pac-12 again, or is this another year in which may go by that a coach is on the hot seat? Maybe both coaches are on the hot seat here in LA, you know, and that's something I do want to talk about because John Wilner, he, uh, he'll join us next segment. Actually, John Wilner, he uh, covers college football, especially the PAC 12. He is my go-to guy when it comes to the PAC 12. Uh, I'll get the temperature from him on what's going on in the PAC 12, especially regarding USC and UCLA. And, and tell me what this season really is all about. The PAC 12 has a new commissioner as well. We're going to get into that. But more so, last year, we can, if you want to call it that, it was a throwaway year, right? 2020, 2020 was a throwaway year. With USC and UCLA opting out of bowl games, it was a throwaway year. But all I did was just put the focus on 2021. And what does that focus look like? We'll hear from John Wilner, the sports reporter, college sports reporter for the Bay Area News Group. He'll give us what that looks like coming up next here on LA Gridiron Weekly on 710 ESPN. Yes, indeed, on a Saturday, Memorial Day weekend. Hope everybody out there definitely being safe. Make sure if you're in your car, keep that seatbelt buckled up and hope you're enjoying the holiday weekend responsibly. But yeah, my next guest, a guy who I am uh, uh, excited to talk to. Uh, I feel like I just get so much smarter. Uh, I learned so much just from following him on Twitter at Wilner Hotline. Uh, but he's a guy that is mis- I call him Mr. Information. And so Mr. Information will join us here <laughs> on LA Gridiron Weekly. He's a college sports reporter for the Bay Area News Group. He's John Wilner. John, man, thank you. Appreciate the time. Thank you for joining LA Gridiron Weekly. What's up, my man? And uh, thank you very much for having me, Kirk. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, appreciate you. Appreciate you on this holiday weekend. So dude, this is LA Gridiron Weekly. We talk a lot of NFL, but there's just the, this this the football in Los Angeles. It's not about the NFL. First and foremost, it's always USC and UCLA. So I said, what better guy that I can talk to to kind of get just the lay of the land of college football in Los Angeles or the perception of what people think of these two historic programs in USC and UCLA. But before I get to that, the Pac-12, the Pac-12 will have a new commissioner, John. And look, Larry Scott said, told us, the former commissioner, that the Pac-12 was going to have this network and it was going to be booming. It was going to be up there with all the, the the big power five conferences of college football, and it never happened. And so now George 
Kliakoff. I make sure I said that right. George Kliakoff, the new Pac-12 commissioner. Uh, what should we? What do we know about George Kliakoff, and um, where should he start in t- order to get this Pac-12 turned around? He's got a long to-do list. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. And you know, and part of the issue he's facing is that some of the problems can't be fixed in a few months. They're years. They're going to require years. Uh, and some of the issues that are facing Pac-12 football you know, don't really involve him because he doesn't recruit the players and he's not calling the plays. Right. I mean, he's not responsible for USC that go eight and five or whatever. So, (laughs) you know, uh, he's got a tough job. Um, and, and football is going to be the focus of, of what he's got to do. Right. But, you know, whether it's uh PAC 12 networks or, uh, scheduling, there's, there's a, there's a lot, a lot for him to do. And, and they don't have, very many good options uh, in a lot of regards, right? I mean, there's yeah. a lot of forces, big picture forces that are kind of working against the conference right now, uh, including recruiting, right? And so uh, we'll we'll see what he does. I think that he certainly has got to surround himself with good people. That's the only way this is going to work. It's like a new coach. If you don't hire good coordinators, you got trouble. And he's got to hire some some good staff. So, John, I mean, for me, as a college football broadcaster, you know, I tend to try to uh, carry the torch for not only the group of five, but also for the Pac-12 as I'm a West Coast guy. So what what do you think happened to the Pac-12? When you look at the group of when you look at the power five conferences, obviously the SEC at the top, uh, Big Ten, ACC, then there's the Big 12. And it seems like the Pac-12 is still trying to play catch up to the rest of the power five. Why is that? You know, I don't think it's just one thing, which is unfortunate because it'd be much simpler if that were the case. But (laughs) I think, you know, it's kind of a combination of the playoff has now created a situation where everything gets judged based on which four teams get in and which conferences are represented. Right. I mean, the ACC is not a better football conference than the Pac-12, but they got Clemson and the Pac-12 does not have an, an equivalent of Clemson. Same with the Big 12, I think, but there's no Oklahoma, Oklahoma, right? right. So without an elite team during the playoffs, it has become, you know, it's now viewed as as kind of second tier. Now, why isn't there an elite team? Well, I mean, partly because USC is not, you know, uh, played to its historical standard, Uh, partly because I think the the way that Pac-12 is structured, it's harder, right? They have nine conference games instead of eight for the SEC and the ACC that they almost all the teams are playing at least one marquee opponent. Right. So, you know, there's some structural issues. Uh, there's programs not maybe doing as well as they should. And then there's the emphasis on just producing one elite team. And if you don't have one elite team, you're, you're viewed as second class. Wow. Uh, John Warner joining us here on LA gridiron weekly. You mentioned it. USC was that one elite team for the PAC 12 for so long. And yet now they've sort of been in a in, in this in this space of they're a good team, but not great. And so I kind of look at them right now in 2021. Keaton Slovis returns back at quarterback, but they lost a lot of talent. Man, I you know, I covered the NFL and you know, you're gonna you lose an Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vaughn's, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, who was drafted to the Jets. Right, you lose a tele, uh, Telenoa Ufunga. You you lose to a fellow. You you lose to a Polo. I'm saying all these names, and I'm like Elijah Griffith. Like you lost a lot of talent. How do you even view or take a look at USC this year as a viable champion in the Pac-12? 
I mean, I'm not sure that they are a viable champion, right? I mean, to the to the extent that USC's always got good players, sure. But I mean, if you look at the situation in the South, I mean, I, I, they're not my pick to win the division this year. Uh, I still have some questions about Slovis and his arm and his ability to stay healthy and the ability of their offensive line to protect him, right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, the offensive line is the – if you're going to compare SC 2021 to SC in 2011 or SC in certainly in 2004, you know, it's the offensive line, right? They used to trot out five draft picks, right? Yes. The backups, uh-huh. their, back, their, their second string offensive line was better than anybody else's first string offensive line when they were rolling. Now, I don't know. Their offensive line to me, they've had Austin Jackson was a very good player. Rare Tucker, very good player. But I look at the line this year, and I, I just don't know, you know, and, and are they going to be able to run the ball? you got to – if you're going to be a championship team, you got to be able to run the ball for four yards on third and three in the fourth quarter, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Can they do that? I don't know. They don't – I don't even think they care to run it on, on third and three, right? They want to throw it. So I, I just don't know. And then you combine that with who they've lost on defense and, and uh, you know, especially their situation of cornerback. Yeah. I'm just not sure they have championship a championship roster this year. You know, John, what's the per, what's the perception on head coach Clay Helton now in his sixth or finished his sixth season, going into year seven now as the head coach, as the full time head coach? I don't count the interim year, but as yeah. the full time head coach, what's what's the temperature you think right now nationally or just around the Pac-12 on what he's been able to do as the head coach? Uh, well, I think his seat temperature is pretty hot. Uh, okay. I, to me, this is it for him. If they don't have a, you know, a, a division winning uh, season, if they're not going to be winning nine, ten games, uh, I think that that this is it for him. Um, whether they can get to that point or not, I, I don't know. But I suspect for for Helton and also for Chip Kelly, this is the make or break season. And you know that the game at the end of the year, uh, Crosstown Showdown. They could both be coaching for their jobs. Uh, I would not be surprised if we're in that situation. Just given, you know, last year, you kind of had to write last year off, right? Because the pandemic and the screw, screw, everything was screwy. USC had a good year. But this is like, to me, this is judgment year for both those guys. Mm. He's a college sports reporter for the Bay Area News Group. He's John Wilner. Follow him on Twitter at Wilner Hotline. You mentioned Chip Kelly. And for Chip, this is now year four for Chip. And the results have to start coming in. New you know, athletic director, Martin Jarman, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson returns. Dulcich, the tight end. They got a couple playmakers. Where do you look at UCLA right now? I know you mentioned make-or-break year for Chip Kelly, but where is this roster at now in year four with Chip Kelly? Well, we're going to find out first week of the season, <laughs> season I'm, yeah. you know, well, second week, second for week, UCLA, second week yeah. for UCLA, second week for LSU, yeah. it'll be the first week. And that's an advantage for the Bruins right there. Right. The fact they'll have played a game. Uh, I mean, they got to win a game in September, which they, you know, haven't yeah, done, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. uh, I, I just think, uh, you know, uh, it's hard to, you know, hold any head coach or super accountable for what happened last year. And I think, I thought the Bruins did okay uh, last year, actually. It yeah. showed some improvement. You know, their defense was a lot better, uh, especially in terms of pressure in the, the passer. Uh, do they have enough, you know, elite players to, to really make a run in what I think is a very good division? You know, Utah and ASU are going to be good. USC's got players. 
I don't know. I think a lot of it depends on on the quarterback and whether he makes that that next step in terms of, you know, accuracy and decision making and, and you know, plays like a senior quarterback and, and makes the big plays in big situations and avoids the game changing mistakes. And, and I think a lot of it's riding on that well, on him, including potentially Chip Kelly's job. You know, I think Oregon played uh, Auburn a couple of years back, and a lot of people were able to watch that earlier in the season yeah. and kind of give them a, a great grade or a test of how good this team is. Last year, the pandemic took a lot of those games away. Yeah. I look at both schools, UCLA and USC, their uh, preseason or their non-conference schedule. Obviously, USC will have the Notre Dame game back, but they play San Jose State, which was a team that won the Mountain West Conference. So they come in with a little bit of a resume. In BYU, um, they lose a number two draft pick overall, yeah. Zach Wilson. But they usually tend to have a good roster. UCLA, you mentioned the Hawaii game to start LSU in week two and then followed up with another Mountain West opponent in Fresno State. Um, right now, does is this a non-conference schedule that gets people excited about where this team can go, whether it's UCLA or UC, uh, UCLA or USC, that people are like, okay, this team is for real, or could this still kind of set these two teams back? Well, I mean, for US, uh, UCLA, certainly the LSU game is, right. you know, a uh, de- defining point, really. Um, and I, thought, I think they got a good chance to win, to win that game. I do, too. You yeah. know, USC's uh, – San Jose State's bringing back their quarterback. And so that's a kind of a sneaky, tough game. If the Trojans are going in there looking ahead to Stanford, or, you know, conference play in general, sneaky, tough game. Notre Dame obviously is going to be tough, although at least, you know, uh, Trojans have got a bye beforehand. So that'll help. Uh, and then BYU, by that point, BYU's quarterback should be, you know, uh, settled in and that, that'll be a tough game. So it's not uh, – you know, there's no, uh, there's no LSU, there's no Auburn kind of game, but it's, it's a, it's a sneaky, tough non-conference schedule. And the problem is, you know, if there's a big difference between two and one and one and two in non-conference, right. In terms of how you finish up and for UCLA, you know, they lose, you know, two of those games, they lose to Fresno state and LSU. It's going to be hard for chip to get enough conference wins to probably, you know, keep keep the the hounds at bay so to speak right because yeah. if you're one and two then you you got to go you got to go seven and two to have a real good season you know so yeah. that's tougher yeah a lot tougher a lot tougher just a couple more minutes here with john wilner of the bay area news group um all the uh, your decades of experience in covering college sports um you're one of the unique ones that have a heisman trophy uh you're a heisman trophy voter you get a chance to uh hit the ballot. So I was doing some digging a little bit. And so since 2000, it was like the run on West coast guys, right? It was Carson Palmer winning the Heisman in 2002, Matt Leinart wins in 04, Reggie Bush wins the, the uh, Heisman in 05. Then we have this gap. I'm considering Marcus Mariota as a West coast quarterback. I know he's in Oregon, but in 14, he won the Heisman trophy. But since then, John, it's, it's been, either Oklahoma, Alabama, and that's it, or the field, right? It's It's been all East Coast, down, you know, SEC, ACC, Big Ten, no Pac-12. And so as a voter, what do you want to see from the West Coast teams? How can we get the Heisman Trophy, the best player in college football, how can we get that recognition back here on the West Coast? 
Uh, it is tough. I mean, it's stacked against the West Coast players, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, five six of the Heisman electorate is basically east of the Mississippi, right? Um, so you between the, that and the kickoff times and just general exposure for Pac twelve players, it's tough. Look, I mean, I, I go back. Christian McCaffrey broke yes. one of the most hallowed records in football. Barry Sanders all purpose yards, right? Uh, a legendary record, a legendary play. And he didn't win the Heisman. And more than half of his all-purpose yards were started at 10 o'clock or later on the East Coast that year. So there is certainly an exposure. I mean, I think that this, you know, the situation is actually in some ways worse for the Pac-12 than the, what you laid out because USC is its own platform. When right. you've got seven national titles and you've got seven Heisman winners, you don't need anything extra, right? Yes. But if you're not at SC, I mean, look at it this way. Mariota is the only Pac-12 player not from SC to win the Heisman since Jim Plunkett, right? That's a long, <laughs> That's a long that time. Is a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so in order to do it, you've got to start the season with a lot of exposure and then you've got to play great. Mariota was like the the preseason favorite basically in 2014. And then they went to the playoff. So that was ideal. I don't think a Pac-12 player can be, you know, a so-called dark horse and win it because there's just not enough opportunities to get exposure in front of the, an electorate that is almost predominantly East coast and Southeast. It's, it's, it's very, very difficult unless you're a front runner before the season starts. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Difficult times for the guys in the Pac-12. Yeah. But you know what? I'm excited to watch some Pac-12 football when it does come around. And I know the guy who I will be following, it'll be you, John Wilner. At, Hot, at Wilner Hotline is his Twitter handle. He's a college sports reporter for the Bay Area News Group. John, appreciate the time, man. We got to catch up and do this again right before the, the uh, opening kickoff this week when we get all these kickoff times ahead of us. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks very much for having me, Kurt. Appreciate it. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure. That was John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. More LA Gridiron Weekly coming up next. Have you LA Gridiron Weekly Saturday? Here we go. (laughs) Memorial Weekend. Great interview there by John Wilner. Like I said, I value his opinion a lot. And he's he's my guy that keeps me up to date on what is going on in Pac-12, not just football. I I watch a little Pac-12 basketball, but he's got opinions on everything so great to get his uh per perspective on just the pac 12 and i thought that was interesting too and interesting just talking about the heisman trophy and it's something that i've talked about uh, with others that it seems to be more of a quarterback award now now it did go to a wide receiver this year so that was actually pretty cool but it's become an offensive award whether it's the quarterback running back and wide receiver that's it that's just honestly what it's come down to be that the best player in college football usually goes to is usually on the best team and whoever is the best team has the best player right that's just what college football has become and it's just different because i I, I've, i've been to to watch some players who i thought were much better players in college but yet they didn't go to the big time university right and that's usually what happens because you would think that with the guy who wins the Heisman, that he's going to be the number one overall pick in the NFL, right? He's the best player in college football. He must go number one. And that's always very rarely the case, right? The best players in college football doesn't go number one overall. Why is that? 
Well, it's because usually the best player may be somewhere else, or the NFL looks at another player uh, as a much better college, I mean, a much better NFL player than a college player. And so that's one thing that I've always noticed is that sometimes players need to develop. Sometimes better players may play at different programs. But when you get to the NFL, the accolades that you have in college, they don't work in the NFL. You got to prove yourself all over again, right? That's why sometimes you see guys who win the Heisman Trophy don't necessarily go on to these storied careers, right? Very rarely do we have that particular case in terms of guys who continue uh, on and have a a career that's Hall of Fame type worthy. Now, look, there are some players who do have that. I mean, I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, right? Barry Sanders, I think Hall of Famer, won a Heisman Trophy. There's some guys on that list that I'm saying, yeah, you know, Charles Woodson, outstanding Heisman Trophy winner, my former teammate with the Raiders, you know, going inducting, getting inducted into the Hall of Fame this year, Pro Football Hall of Fame. So I know there's tons of guys who have terrific careers uh, after winning the Heisman Trophy, but there are some that don't, right? We brought up Tim Tebow a little bit earlier in the first segment. Tim Tebow with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's a Heisman Trophy winner, and yet his yeah his NFL career wasn't much as it was for his college career. He's the most decorated college football player in, in college history. You say the name Tim Tebow, and it is people will people will, will fight you, you know. So now I'm just looking at the NFL as a whole, and as I look at the Heisman Trophy winners as a whole, and what happens as they get older and they get to the NFL, and they start to realize that it's a little bit different because some of them played on some of the best teams. And when you get to the NFL, usually sometimes you get drafted to a team that may not have the most talent uh, or is not as good as some of the better teams. And you're forced to have to be a savior. Offensive line may not be as good as you had in college or the defensive line, whatever it may be. So it's a lot that goes into it. And that's something that I want to keep my eyes on, but man, in doing some research before, you know, talking to John Wilner, it just had to scratch my head. People, Really had to scratch my head that we've had so much of a gap between Hall of, I mean between Heisman winners from the West Coast or the Pacific time zone. We haven't had one since Marcus Mariota in twenty fourteen. And then previous to that, we almost went ten years, right? Reggie Bush back in oh five, which before that was Matt Leinard in oh four and Carson Palmer in oh two. And those were the glory days of USC, right? Pete Carroll comes on, and wow, that's when USC truly took off and became the darling of the 2000s, right? Being around that program. But how can you get it back? And I think that's where John was saying, same thing that I'm saying, how do you get sort of that primetime mystique, that that, that showtime that I thought the Pac-12 and USC and UCLA had at one point were the best superstars, but now the hardest part that I'm seeing is that it's hard to keep some kids on the West Coast. Now you got guys going from the West all the way to the East to get some of that notoriety. Case in point for all those people out there who love the high school football. A couple of years ago, DJ Ui Ungalale of St. John Bosco goes from St. John Bosco right there 
in here, you know, in LA and goes all the way to Clemson. Now he was the backup to Trevor Lawrence. So yes, he'll probably be the presumptive starter this year. And then look, maybe he falls right into the same lineage of Trevor Lawrence and goes number one overall when his time is up, which is happens in two more seasons. He'll be three years removed. He will be probably the next quarterback that'll be selected. We shall see, but he has that type of talent. But when did talent like that says, you know what? I'm okay. USC. I'm okay. UCLA. I'm okay. And decides to go all the way to the other, to the Eastern time zone to play football. Or a kid who was drafted in the first round this year, running back out of Alabama, Najee Harris, born in the Bay Area, right? My neck of the woods. Decides, yeah, I think I'll go to Alabama to play my collegiate football. Now, look, the guy does win a couple of national championships and first round draft picks. So, look, this is a decision, a great decision on his part. Well, why can't we get back to that here on the West Coast? You tell me why. 877. 877- 710 ESPN 877-710-3776. Tweet at me at Kirk Morrison. Why can't we get back to that? I mean, seriously, why can't the West Coast football, the Pacific time zone football? And now I guess do we extend it to Utah now because Utah's in the pack and they've been playing well um, of late and been a thorn in the side of some Pac-12 teams and they're in the mountain time zone. So Anything from the mountain all the way to the Pacific, man. I'm trying to figure out what can the West Coast, the mountain time zone, what can we do to get some attention around these parts? It's tough. It's tough to get it done. But that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to find some ways. And maybe you have some answers on how we can get this thing turned around and get the premier games of college football on Saturday nights right here back on the West Coast, especially here in Los Angeles between UCLA and USC. That's something I can't wait to get to uh, and figure out a solution that we can have. So, yeah, that's been my college football talk this week. I can't – we can't do a little bit more. We get a couple beat reporters in to really dive in deep with what's going on at USC, what's going on at UCLA, and, and really understand, you know, what, what, what needs to get done this year. What will be a successful season now? Because expectations are different. It's not national championship or bust like it once was before. Right now, what is considered a good season in the Pac-12? Is it Rose Bowl birth? Is it college football playoff or not? Or do we just need to extend and or expand, I should say, the college football playoff? They need to expand. The conversations are there. And we'll dive into that. And further episodes, I mean, in, in, in other episodes of LA Gridiron Weekly. So we got more of that coming up too, as well. We can figure out how we can fix college football. But coming up, last segment here on LA Gridiron Weekly. Hope you are enjoying yourself on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we bring this thing home. Coming up next here on LA Gridiron Weekly on 710 ESPN. Back here on LA Gridiron Weekly, final segment here, man. What a show that we've had. Outstanding job, outstanding show today on a Memorial Day weekend, man. I'm ready to get out and get ready to find me some uh, a couple of waves on the beach, a couple of barbecues set up. Um, yeah, find me a nice cold adult beverage, possibly. Kind of relax a little bit, watch some basketball, NBA playoffs going on right now. Get watch some hockey playoffs as it gets started, man. But thankful that the NBA is going to extend into the summer, right? Because is it Memorial Day weekend? the beginning of summer it's like the unofficial summer kickoff holiday so i I'm, i get a chance to sit back 
watch some sports, watch some basketball, watch, uh, see what these Lakers, man, like, you know, can they repeat? That's what the big question is. And the Clippers, I know, I don't even want to bring that up. <laughs> I'll be like, you can't talk about the Clippers here in LA. Hey, I won't, I won't talk about them. I will. There are some Clipper fans out there. So we uh, definitely got a chance to uh, talk about them as well. Talk about the Lakers here uh, all throughout our programming during the week, Mason and Ireland, Cap, Sedano, LZ, all my guys. Oh, don't forget my boy Sliwa uh, and Travis. Travis and Sliwa coming up too as well during the week. So we got a bunch of shows. I can't wait for everybody to see what happens after this Memorial Day weekend and get caught up on all the sports news here in Los Angeles and also around the country as well. But when it comes down to this uh, final segment, a couple of things I just want to just kind of hit on, just some topics of uh, around the NFL that – I didn't get to during the show, but I just thought it was uh, thought it was funny this week, um, and it's, it kind of hits home here too. It's the Rams, um, and this week the Rams rookies had a chance to go out there and practice, you know, OTAs with uh, the players like Aaron Donald and uh, you know Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Jackson, you know, all the guys who are at the you know many the uh, OTA, and so one player in particular um <laughs> was talking with uh, uh the media this week i think it was uh ernest jones ernest jones linebacker they drafted in the third round out of south carolina and you know ernest talked a little bit about you know meeting aaron donald for the first time and making a call in the huddle and then aaron donald looking back at him said hey man what's the call and he kind of got starstruck for a minute right he froze up Aaron Donald's asking me a question, and here I am. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And I thought it was funny because you integrate, like, the rookies and the veterans and the guys who have been there, and you're trying to figure it all out, right? You're trying – as a young player, you're trying to figure it out. And so I guess I use this little bit of time at the end here for story time for me because I thought it was just unique that for the rookies this time of the offseason program. And this is what the media never really tells you about. This isn't what the NFL Players Association tells you about. You know, you hear all these negative comments about, you know, don't go to the OTA. You know, you don't want to get, you know, you're working too hard and it should be voluntary and all of that. But I go back to 2005 as a rookie. And I remember going to these offseason workouts after having been drafted and being able to be around who are your teammates now. Like before, you didn't know them, but all of a sudden, when you become draft, when you get drafted, you become teammates. You get a chance to meet these new guys, talk with them, walks of life. Not only do you share a field with them, but you share a locker room, you share the eating facilities, training room, all of that, and the conversations, the events, things that you do, and the rookies come all together, which is always a big rookie class where the undrafted guys, along with the drafted players, but you all come together and you. And you learn one another. You get a chance to uh, get develop chemistry, learn your new teammates. That's what Matthew Stafford talked about of the Rams. Uh, that's what a couple other players have came in. But I was just bringing this point up because I went back to my career, and I remember back in 2005, I was drafted to the Oakland Raiders. And I remember going out there in the first mini camp, and – one of the guys who was out there, one of the starters, 
at the time or the first string kind of went down. I think he had an injury or something. So he said, hey, Morrison, go in, run a couple reps. I was like, okay. So I go in for a couple reps, and here I am, a guy who was a four-year starter at San Diego State, middle linebacker, you know, called the defense, line things up, do all of that. And I remember he said, coach told me to go in. And this is a practice. This is an OTA, everybody. This is an OTA. And I go out there, and I look, and I stare at the guys who are staring at me. They're looking at me because they want the call. You know, Rook, what's the call? And I didn't have a, I didn't have the time to, like, really fan out. But in that huddle with me was Hall of Famer Warren Sapp. Hall of Famer will be inducted this year in Charles Woodson. Also, as well, other players like Derek Burgess, Namdi Asamoah, players who are longtime good football players in the NFL. And here I am staring them right in the eye, telling them, hey, over Raider 3, ready? And so I didn't have that much bass in my voice then. You know, I was a little – I'm a rookie. You know, I wasn't as loud as I became. But I remember Warren Sapp grabbing me and said, hey, Brooke, if you're going to call the huddle, you better call this huddle. Now, I've had guys like Ray Lewis call my huddle when I was in college. Derek Brooks in the NFL, you're going to have to take man of your huddle. And it just kind of brought me to that situation right here with Ernest Jones and Aaron Donald. Because a lot of these players who are now being drafted have spent three years, four years in college and watched the NFL game. They've watched Aaron Donald. They've watched Jalen Ramsey. Said, man, I wish I can play with him or emulate him or be like him. And then in a blink of an eye, you get drafted and you're rubbing shoulders with Aaron Donald now. You're rubbing shoulders with Jalen Ramsey, with Deshaun Jackson. And that was the one thing that I had to learn fairly quickly. My locker was right next to Charles Woodson. I was the biggest Charles Woodson fan. Who wasn't a Charles Woodson fan? He was the, he's still the only player, primarily defensive player, to win the Heisman Trophy. The only player to win the Heisman Trophy as a primarily defensive player. He was right next to me. He was my locker mate. And so, yeah, you want to tell me that times where I'm sitting here saying, wow, and I look to my right and I see him and I'm like, dude, I want to ask for an autograph. This is my teammate. But fairly quickly, you learn that this is your teammate. And you go out there, you share a field together, you share a locker room together. And the goal and the objective is to go win a championship. So once you get over that hump, you can have those conversations. And that's what Ernest Jones said. I want to have a conversation with Aaron Donald, but I don't know what to say. And so if I'm Ernest Jones, I could tell him one piece of advice, right? One piece of advice. Actually, hold on. Let's get ready. I got the two-minute drill coming up. You ready? Steve Pellet, hit it. Let's hit it. The two-minute drill. It's time for the two-minute drill on L.A. Gridiron Weekly. All right, two-minute drills here. Um, it's a couple of, of minutes left. So I saved the two-minute drill just for this one in particular, okay? Because a little bit of advice to Ernest Jones. My advice to you is you want to have a conversation with your older veterans, with the guys on the team that have been established in the NFL. The one thing that you should do, the one thing that you should do, walk up to them 
to a guy like Aaron Donald and say, Aaron Donald, nice to meet you. I'm Ernest Jones. I admire the way you play football. How do you continue to be so great? What makes you great? What makes you special? How do you work? Because I want to work just the way that you do. That's how you start a conversation. And trust me, Aaron Donald will love to help you out. He would love to see you along the way. He would love to get you and work it out with you and get you right where you need to be. Because at the end of the day, by him tutoring and mentoring, you is only going to make you a much better football player. So you need some advice on what to say to Aaron Donald. Just say, hey, man, I want to be great. How do I be great? Right? Same thing. If I played basketball, I would have loved to say, Kobe, how can I be great? How can I be like you? I would love to study you and figure how to be great just like you as a player. So that's my advice to the rookies out there all across the NFL. But, yeah, that's – man, I like that piece of advice. But, man, what a great show that we had today on this Memorial Day weekend. I'm so excited, for again, for another awesome show. Chris Harry, uh, team reporter for the Chargers. She joined us. John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group. He joined us. Man, special thanks again to Steve Pellet, my engineer today. Chris Morales, my board op guy. been getting all this great imaging. Man, this has been L.A. Gridiron Weekly on 710 ESPN.